Welcome to the Believe in the Land show. My name is Andy Billman. Let's take a look back at the week that was in Cleveland sports. Well, it was an interesting week, wasn't it? From Joe Thomas Hall of Fame to the first preseason game to all the way through with the Guardians and White Sox with what happened there on Saturday night, which we'll talk about, to Ricky Rubio, who's now taking time off for his mental health. Hopefully he's doing okay. Best wishes to him and his family. And then we had the changing of the guard again in the Big Ten as they added Washington, Oregon, Utah, Arizona State, Arizona, all going to the Big 12 as well. So a lot of changes, a lot of stuff to talk about. And then in the middle of this, we had Thursday, you had a preseason game. Oh, by the way, Josh Bell gets traded. Aaron Savali gets traded. All in one week. I mean, jam-packed week. Jam-packed week. We will start off with the Browns. And then we'll get to Joe Thomas. And then a Guardians. And a quick lap around about Ricky Rubio. And then the Big Ten. And the Buckeyes. So the Browns played their opening preseason game against the Jets. I think we'll start there. There's a there. This game in the Pro Football Hall of Fame is not just unique to the Jets and Browns. It's normally a game where teams do play a lot of substitute players or first-year players. It's a lot of backups. It is not a game where you're going to see starters play. It's certainly not a game where you're going to see impactful players, if they even play, play very long. It's just it's a game to see second, third, and mostly third, maybe even, dare say, fourth string. Uh, but mostly third string, some second string, and that's about it. And like I said, when you get that deep in some uh, in some teams, which you do, in some cases you might even see like a four deep, which is rare, but it still happens. So that's basically what we saw here. So there's a lot of things that need to be taken with a grain of salt, and there does. And we'll go through the DTR experience, which was exciting. Again, against second, a lot of third teamers. So hard to, to, to depict what, how good it was, but he looked good. He really did look good. Demetrius Felton had a good day. Cedric Tillman against the second. He was the he was on the first half of the second team. He did a nice job. I thought both the Isaiah's McGuire and Thomas both looked good. I like to saw from Tony Fields looked good. But what probably for me is going to be the most memorable thing that I saw is what what happened to Cade York, and that's where we start because I thought Cade York's missing that game was huge. He is a starter. That is a significant thing. And he has opened up a door to Pandora's box of worries. Cade York missed the opening field goal in this game, 49-yarder. And he, I mean, I guess knuckleball is the best way to describe it. But it really just snaked its way out. It didn't look fluid. Very tight-looking kick. He almost missed his first extra point, And that just barely slithered in. After that, his next two are pretty... Non-dramatic. They're right down the middle. So Cade York's opened himself to a lot of criticism, and this is a starter position. This is not a backup position. This is not a third-string position. This is the position. And Cade York is important. Browns need to make field goals. Every team does. Browns have to get that position correctly. And so far, it has not looked good for Cade York outside of one kick against Carolina last week and last year in week one. Should we be concerned? I think we should. I am worried. 
wasn't a good feeling. They have to figure out what does this really mean going forward for Cade York? Meaning, do you bring in another kicker? I think I would. I think he needs to be tested. I think he needs to feel the competition, actually. Because if you can't make a kick in a Pro Football Hall of Fame opening day with, like, really no sorts of trouble, really no sorts of, like, it's just a preseason game. It's really not something where where a lot of players should get nervous outside of trying to make the team. I mean, Kate York's making the team. So for him to miss that kick shows he's definitely got some mental strain on what's going on. And he's overthinking, clear. I mean, clearly overthinking. So that's number one. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. And the other thing that really popped out to me was I thought the special teams didn't look good. And it wasn't just one or two plays. It was multiple, multiple plays. I did not like... I did not like how how certain things were done with kickoff and punt returns. I didn't like how uninspired they looked on field goal attempts. And those are some players that are going to be playing on Sunday. Um, Bubba Fintrons came in with all this energy, and boy, it didn't show up in that first game. Instead, And Kevin Stefanski needs to be on the hook, too, obviously. I keep saying this. It's not just... Above a Ventrone problem. If it's a team, it's a team thing. And this is a head coach. This is a team thing. He has got to figure out special teams. That, to me, is my big note. Those things, I'm pretty sure. Cade York's struggles are real. He's got to start making kicks. It's actually going to take a while to get over that. And special teams aren't quite what I thought they were. I'm coming out. I had hope that they would turn around, and so far... I'd say they got there. They're the same. And I didn't see a special teams unit that was really in tune to the game. And that shocked me. They didn't look focused. Just didn't look focused. But there are many other things that happened in this game. DTR looked great. He really did. DTR looks apart. You know, he is going to be the third string quarterback here. And there's a small chance down the road he could make more of an impact on his team. I, I do say that. It's not crazy, but he's got to show a lot of things. He's got to do a lot of things. But, you know, one game, you watch enough football, you kind of sit there and you go, you know what? I can I can see this guy maybe over time maybe making an impact. I don't think he should be a second string backup, but I thought he played really well in this game. And he's definitely better than Kellen Real quickly on Mund, not his fault, not his problem. I was never a fan of his at Texas A&M. It carried over to the first preseason game. He's just not very good. He didn't look impressive. He threw a lot of short passes. Just wasn't impressive. He is not going to be here for long. Thompson Robinson has, has claimed that spot. That is his spot. Dorian's got that spot. Good start to his career. Cedric Tillman, I like him a lot. Really do like what I saw from him. Very impressive player. I thought John Kelly looked like a steady running back. Demetric Felton, that was the best Demetric Felton I've ever seen. Neither one popped off the page, but neither one made my shoulders uh, sink. They both played well. 
Both played well. I thought Jones, the rookie, played really well. I don't think he was outstanding, but I thought he was good. He did the job. He's a backup tackle. Yes. You can see him being a backup tackle in this league. Yes. I thought he proved a lot of people wrong with what he did. In playing a whole game, a lot of people were worried about his endurance. No issues. No issues at all. On Thursday night against the Jets. He did a really nice job. And then one other thing that really stuck out in the offense is Anthony Schwartz. And I've said this a lot on the lives. i said this a lot on here, so I'm going to keep it short and sweet. So I do think Anthony Schwartz is a good person. You don't want to tear people down. But you want to be real and honest. And Anthony Schwartz is not good. He's terrible. And he caught and he got a ball and a jet sweep and he fumbled it. And that's what Anthony Schwartz does. He's just not reliable. We've seen it now for three years. I think we're good. I don't think we're going to need to see much else from Mr. Schwartz. I don't think it's going to change. I don't think we need to see more from him. And that's why I want to be so direct. I, I just don't think it's good for him or the health of the Browns for him to be out there. I just don't. On defense, I mentioned the positives. I thought both Isaiahs looked really good towards the end of the game. McGuire and Thompson. I thought the defensive ends have really improved on this team. Not sure what to say about the defensive tackles because I know Jordan Elliott played and I didn't really see much impact in that position. I'm hoping Tomlinson's a big upgrade because that position, to me in this game, looked very similar to what I saw last year. Average to below average. Non-impactful. Defensive tackles for the Browns are now just are not making impacts on games. They don't push the line. They don't push to get the ball carrier down. They just are kind of logs in a river, and they just they just kind of float away. They're just not good. I don't think they're terrible, but I don't think they're good. And there's a lot of times where they just move so slow. Defensive ends, again, I like. The linebackers thought they did a nice job. Uh, Tony Fields did a nice job. I like Cam Mitchell a lot. He's going to be a player. You can tell. Cameron Mitchell and Jones are the two draft picks that are, are going to be players. If they stay healthy and they stay in the trajectory they're doing, they're going to be players. And that's just from eyes of the Jets-Browns game. There's a lot of other things. Anyone can ever go down, sure. But those are the big headlines. I wouldn't try to break it too much more down. My big notes are the DTR thing has been settled. He's the third. Not surprised. Special teams, Kate York included, have a lot of improvements to do. Cedric Tillman, check. Jones, check. Cam Mitchell, check. The draft picks from this year, Harmin, are looking like they're going to be players. Real players. No real injuries. I know there's a small Greg Newsom thing. He didn't play on Thursday, but it's been mentioned now that Craig Newsom might be he's sitting out a little bit, but it doesn't sound like it's serious. We did not get to see Jerome Ford, hoping to see him, and obviously didn't get to see Deshaun Watson. On Friday against the Commanders, I really want to see Deshaun Watson, obviously, and I really want to see Jerome Ford. I have not seen Jerome Ford play, and I really want to see him play. If he played last year in a preseason game, I don't remember it. He certainly didn't do anything during the regular season. really want to see those two play. It's important to see Watson, obviously, but it's important to see Jerome Ford, too. And that's the first game. You know, 
You can overanalyze. We're desperate for football. We're thirsty to break something down. So we overanalyze some things. Sure you can. But that's basically the gist. They do some more practicing. They get ready for the Commanders on Friday. They're only home game. And then they're away for two weeks, and they go to Philly for a whole week. They play the Eagles on a preseason game. Obviously, this week, it's all about Deshaun Watson. And again, I would put a little bit of drum forward in there, but most people are going to be all really talking about Deshaun Watson. I understand that. We come back, Joe Thomas. Welcome back to the Believe in the Land Show. My name is Andy Billman. Check out our fantastic content on the Instagram page, at Official Cleveland Sports. Do you like analyzation as soon as the Guardians game ends? As soon as it ends, I'm there talking about Tim Anderson and J-Ram. J-Ram's knockout. We'll be talking about that in the next segment. All the Browns and Jets, Cavs and Buckeye football in the fall. My name is Andy Billman. Check us out at BelieveInTheLand.com. Check us out at Believe in the Land at official Cleveland Sports Instagram. That's at official Cleveland Sports on Instagram. Check out our merchandise. The Down Goes Anderson t-shirts are available. Pick them up. Pick them up. Check it out. Joe Thomas made in the Hall of Fame. I'm happy for Joe. Um, I was very thrilled with Joe's speech as a fan. I thought he really hit every note as a Clevelander would like to hear. You can tell he's very proud to be a Brown. And what struck me during his speech as he got to the Hall of Fame on Saturday was how much he's gone through. You know, it's funny. We go through those years and it's like, I just don't want to talk about 131. We won one game in two seasons. I don't want to relive Deshaun Kaiser. I don't want to relive Corey Coleman and Johnny Manziel and all those guys, just all of them. All of them. It was a nightmare. There were so many years where we knew it's like Jake DeLone's our quarterback. He gets hurt the first week. You never hear from him again, and that's that. Remember that season? Jake DeLone played one game, got hurt, I think, against the Buccaneers, and you never heard from him. He just disappeared. RG3, I think, played a handful of games. Never saw him again. This is gone. Gone. Those years, all those years were when Joe Thomas played. He played for 20 quarterbacks. 20! And he played over 10,000 consecutive snaps. He, it's remarkable. He made so many pro team, all pro teams. And he was very good at his job on top. He only gave up, I believe the stats, three sacks. Three, I mean, that's just for left tackle. Left tackle. That was Joe Thomas. He was the standard bear. In the times where the Browns were league, we're very lean. Joe Thomas will be there with his lunch pail. And I think I took it for granted. And I realized that watching the his speech, watching the ceremony, I took his career for granted because those teams were so bad. Because I didn't want to rewatch those moments. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to be a part of it. Ugh. It's just not fun. Those teams were bad. Bad teams. But I thought his speech was very, very well done. And I thought it was sweet what his wife did and his kids did. And you can tell he's a very proud Cleveland Brown. And it struck me, and I didn't think about this until after his speech, he is really the representation 
of the first 24 years back after moving from Baltimore back to Cleveland and getting a new team, a new expansion team. Joe Thomas is the flag bearer. You really can't point to anybody else. You really can't get into depth about a quarterback, a star player. I mean, Josh Cribbs, we had some moments with Anderson, Tim Couch. Obviously, Miles Garrett's starting to make his imprint, but his career's not over yet. You know, Phil Dawson, he's a kicker. I mean, it's hard to really say, like, who represents the Browns in those years? And it's like, frankly, nobody. But we were wrong. It's Joe Thomas. And the fan reaction was wonderful. And he deserves all the accolades. And he deserves being in the Hall of Fame. And he is really a Clevelander and a Cleveland Brown. He was the perfect draft pick. He was the perfect soldier through these years. I was very, very happy for Joe Thomas. It was good to see. I was happy for him and his family. And I was very excited for him to get into Hall of Fame. It meant a lot, and it should mean a lot. It's a big award. It's a big deal. Not a little thing. It's something that you most players can't even sniff and touch. Not only do they sniff and touch it, he's in on his first try. And he was excellent. He was just an excellent, excellent left tackle. And as some of the experts would say, and I, you know, I consider my expert in some things, but not in this world. You know, he's the best ever left tackle to ever play for the Browns. That's definitely true. Might be the best offensive lineman to ever play for the Browns. That's a long history. Long history. I heard several people say that almost 80 years of football. He might be the one. That's pretty impressive. Really impressive. And again, to see his family out there, to see him get the parade and see him being a part of all that celebration, it was great to see. It warmed the heart. And I'm happy for Joe, happy for his family. And truthfully, he does, and he always will represent those first years back when times were tough, when everything was low. He really did the job. He really was the guy. And I'm happy for Joe. And again, I didn't think of it or see it that way until I saw his speech and until I took in what he said on Saturday. And then I kind of looked up and I, I never look at my fiance. I go, he really does represent those years. He really does. And that's not easy because those are some of the toughest years. And maybe that's why to people like me, we'll remember him maybe more fondly than what we did going in because he really did represent years that were really dark, that were really bleak, that were really bad. And he really celebrates the team. He celebrates the organization. He celebrates the city. It'd be every right for Joe to be like, I can't stand this. I want to move to California, and I want to get the furthest thing away from Cleveland. He didn't. He makes his living there. He embraces the city, and he embraces being Cleveland Brown. That says a lot about Joe Thomas. All the accolades, all the talents there, but that meant so much what he said and how he came off on Saturday. He really represents the city and us fans and, you know, everyone in Cleveland really, really well. And again, he had every right to get frustrated and burned out after all those losses, but he never did. And I'm happy for Joe Thomas and congratulations to Joe Thomas. 
we come back to crazy week that was for the Cleveland Guardians. Welcome back to the Believe in the Land show. My name is Andy Billman. You can always check us out. Believe in the Land Media you can always check us out at Official Cleveland Sports on Instagram, believeintheland.com. Also on this YouTube page, check us out. Also, go to Brew Fest this Saturday coming up. It will be a lot of fun. Also, check us out after every Guardians, Browns, and Cavs game instantaneously on Instagram at Official Cleveland Sports. Check it out. All right. The Guardians. Boy, did they have an exhausting week. Um, did not finish the way. Is, this season is really starting to go the way that we've seen from the Browns. And it's not normally something we say about the Guardians. The Guardians had a bit of unraveling. Um, they got no hit. They traded away players. They also got into fights on the field. Managers have been ejected. I mean, it's been a it was, it's been a party with the Guardians, and it's been shocking, very shocking. The Guardians were at one point, I think, firmly in a race with the Twins, and yes, they're still in the race, but they are clearly chasing the Twins now. It's not so much a competition as. They're going to need the Twins to start losing some games so they can hopefully catch up and at some point pass the Twins. So that, that even that's changed. But for an organization that usually has stability, it was very jarring and not easy to digest to see this team just unravel the way they did. And, boy, did they unravel. They had so many things that um, – that they actually did themselves too. And then they add some injuries. We didn't even say the injury word. So I guess we're all started is if you think about it, it all goes back to that Monday trade with Aaron Savali. I'll say this repeatedly. You can explain the Rosario trade, even the teammates who may not like it because he wasn't coming back. They were definitely short, a starting pitcher. Noah Syndergaard fills that role. They need that role to be filled. You can fill the role with Rosario within the team. And it's something they had to do. At that time of the trade, you, go, you have now two veteran starting pitchers that are healthy in Savali and Syndergaard. And that's, that should do it. And then they trade Savali. And that trade goes against, A, it makes it harder to explain the Noah Syndergaard deal now. Because now I don't understand that trade as much. Because you're bringing in Syndergaard to, to kind of stay competitive and also to play the season out with a veteran, yes. But you're you're doing a stay competitive. Now you can't – I mean, why did you trade for Noah Syndergaard then if you're going to trade Aaron Savali? But it, also training Aaron Savali just made less sense in the fact of contract. Contractually, Savali's locked up. He's got arbitration years. The following two years, he's very affordable starting pitcher. That's what the Guardians need. That's their ammo. Why would you trade that? I mean, they must really like Kyle Manzardo, who was part of that trade for the Rays. To me, the way I look at that trade, first of all, they're all in on this Manzardo. They must think very, very highly of him. And hopefully Manzardo does his part. I hope he does. 
And maybe you will. Maybe you'll come in and dazzle us. I don't know. But in that locker room, I think they had the same sentiment I did. I did not like the trade. I still don't like the trade. It just doesn't add up to what the Guardians do. The Guardians build this team through starting pitching. The Guardians build their depth through talented players that are affordable. That's trading away one of your affordable players that are talented. That goes against what you do. It just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. And frankly, it's not easy to explain to a veteran team that is trying to make the playoffs, as the Guardians are trying to do. That trade just didn't add up. And then you got the full results of that trade on Tuesday with a no-hitter. Astros throw a no-hitter. Guardians were lifeless. Lifeless. Then they had to do an emergency fly down, turn off in Antonetti to settle down the club. Because on Tuesday, before the no-hitter, they trade Josh Bell. Josh Bell goes to the Marlins for Wilson. Now, at the time I said that trade, I understand. I did not realize, though, how popular, until after the trade, how popular Josh Bell was in the team. Josh Bell is very, very popular in his team. His teammates really liked him. His teammates really rooted for Josh. So that also hurts the Guardians with another leader lost. I mean, you're losing Rosario. They definitely had a big locker room presence with J-Ram. Savali, who was the team elective player representative. And Josh Bell, who clearly was well-liked by the club, which I didn't really know about. doesn't wasn't really sure, but we found out afterwards. And you're trading another veteran. Not easy. Did I understand the Josh Bell trade? Sure. He wasn't playing well. He didn't perform well. And Wilson is a high-end, low-risk player with a high ceiling uh, for the Marlins. I mean, he at one point was almost going to be the number one overall player selected in the 2021 draft. I get why they made the trade. That's another dart. And then you throw in all of the other things started going along with it. The roller coaster of Josh Nam is really hurt. Now he's out three to four weeks with an oblique strain. Will Brennan's hurt. Um, David Fry's hurt. I mean, it just started all David Fry got hurt on Friday, but all these things started piling up and then you get swept in Houston. Come home after a team meeting to discuss the, where they are as a club. I mean, that's a dramatic, that's a pretty dramatic three days. And they're starting to lose ground to twins by the time Friday comes around. It's a dramatic, that's a Browns like three days. Josh Bell gone, Aaron Savali gone. You lose Josh Naylor to an injury in that trip. Not a good trip. Not a good trip. Come back to Cleveland. Things get from, you know, get more intense. They went on Friday against the White Sox. Good. And then Saturday was the meltdown of all meltdowns. Where... You know, J-Ram protected himself. And J-Ram, and look, I celebrate that. J-Ram did the right thing. I love what J-Ram did. I think we all did. 
J-Ram defended himself, took out anger and frustration that had been building up on him probably for a while, and he took it out on Tim Anderson. Took it out on him. Said, we've had it. Had it with everything that's been going on with this team. And we don't want to, and he just, and Tim Anderson had been picking on Arias. He didn't like that. He had pushed off Rocchio, and J-Ram said enough. Terry Francona got ejected. Mike Sarmal gets ejected. But that kind of, you know, eruption of emotion usually doesn't happen on the Guardians. But, you know, J-Ram felt like he needed to stand up for himself and his teammates, and he did. And as Noah Syndergaard said, I agree with Noah. I like seeing that. I like seeing it a lot. I guess Tim Anderson had been a thorn, which she was – Kind of known, but kind of cemented, the word I will use, with um, with what happened on Saturday night. And that was a huge deal. Um, to see Cherry Francona get kicked out back-to-back days for j Ram to throw a punch, knocking out Tim Anderson. I mean, knocking him out, literally, on, on his butt. And to see Sarball go crazy, I mean that—that's a that was a big brawl. That was a big brawl, and J Ram was no doubt venting out some frustrations. J Ram was no doubt tired of what was going on, and had enough of what was going on. With the White Sox, and enough was going on in this club. I mean, it probably all mixed together, but this is about Tim Anderson. And Jay Ram after the game said he's been disrespecting the game for a while, and he said enough. Didn't like it. Francona made a big point in a press conference to bring up. I don't. They they thought that Anderson had been doing a lot of chirping to their players, including Arias in this trip. He pushed off Rocky on Friday night. Guardians were tired of it. And I don't blame them. I do not blame them. And then on Sunday, we had an, <laughs> another meltdown. Just another meltdown where we have Cole Calhoun, who just came, I mean, literally just came in, is having all these injuries. And then Brian Rocchio with a lead, 3 2, and for the 27th out, just couldn't play catch. Couldn't catch the ball, couldn't throw it the first on multiple on both plays. I mean, just couldn't play catch. I don't know how else to put it. Get the ball scooped up by three, game over. They had two opportunities to do it. Couldn't complete either one. Disappointing. And very bad loss. That was a horrible loss. And Elvis Andrews came up, took out the garbage in a 3-3 game. Did those two errors back to back. One, for some reason, wasn't called an error, but the uh, second one was. They said the errors on Rokio, but both were a fault. Cole's got to make that catch. and You know, Rokio's got to do a better job. I'm not seeing the defensiveness that other people are seeing from Rokio so far. His defense is a little lax so far. Many people claim he's a good defender. I'm not seeing it so far. Not seeing it. Not, not really seeing a clean glove. But anyways, that happened. Another bad loss, and that ends. That ended a pretty bad week. 
I mean, that that is a lot of emotion. That's very unlike Guardians. And the lead has ballooned to the Twins. So as they begin this coming week with the Blue Jays, wow, I mean, that, that was a Browns-like onside kick. Everybody's mad at each other. Players get traded. Team has meltdown. Team has meltdown on the field with another opponent, whether it was right or not. And, you know, manager gets kicked out twice. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. The Guardians usually aren't dramatic. They've been dramatic lately. And the one thing I would advise the Guardians, they need to really remember who they are and what they are. Because this is a team that relies on smart decisions and play on the field and keeping their heads cool. None of that's been going on for this Guardians team right now. Very much a frustrating, frustrating time for our Guardians. Frustrating week. Tough week. Tough week for the Guardians. Hopefully they can turn around soon. We come back. We'll wrap up with the Cavs and the Buckeyes. Welcome back to the last segment here of the Believe in the Land show. My name is Andy Billman. Check us out again at BelieveInTheLand.com. Also check us out on Instagram at Official Cleveland Sports. Every Browns, every Cavs, every Guardians game, Buckeyes, football. Check us out. We'll be there every time. Brewfest is a great time. Check out Brewfest this Saturday the 12th. I will be there with my hose. No, 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 no. We're going to be not getting that crazy. We're going to have... Little shot glasses. It should be a lot of fun. Check it out. Brewfest. It should be a good, good time. <coughs> good time for all. Okay. So the Buckeyes are adding new teams to the Big Ten. Washington and Oregon come on over. Arizona and Arizona State and Utah are going over to play in the Big 12. Um, the Big Ten is a big – this announcement happened on Friday. Um, big announcement – not surprised. Um, exciting stuff. It's uh, the back. The Pac-12 had kind of played its cards out. I, I know some people don't want to see tradition go away, but because of the television contracts, that tradition had to go away for the Pac-12 schools. They weren't going to make any money. They were stay there, and sadly, they were ran into the ground by a very poor, very very poor commissioner. Um, I did a very poor job. Larry Scott of running that league. So the transitioning is happening. Oregon and Washington come over along with USC and UCLA. They're not going to get a full cut. They're going to get a partial cut, whatever that means. Definitely more than what they were going to be making before. And that's obviously a big change. And it's a big, now look, I mean, now you got all the coastal teams on the West coast outside of the Cal and uh, Stanford which I want to get to now. I think the Big Ten should think about adding the other four schools. And I would throw in Oregon State and Washington State too. And the reason being is you could actually make a Big Ten East, Central, and West and almost form your own league. And I think that would be very powerful. I think that would be very lucrative. Even with, And I think 
Cal and Stanford hold? I know they don't hold a lot to what these other schools want and what they think their markets are going to be. And I know Silicon Valley is not doing the best, but still, it is Silicon Valley. It is San Francisco and Oakland. And those are big markets. And Cal and Stanford have a lot of money. And Stanford is a very successful athletic school. I think those schools have a lot to give. I also would add Oregon State and Washington State. It would. You could really create your own little mini thing there. I think that'd be great for the Big Ten. Because then you can keep the West Coast schools in the West Coast. You can flip-flop them around once in a while. It'll actually play better for the other sports outside of football, which would be good for the sport. The Big Ten would never have to play another non-conference opponent, to be honest with you, in football. Because they keep it all in house. I wouldn't I would actually tell them you don't need to play any other schools outside the Big Ten. You really don't. You play your, you know, you play your little, you know, mid-majors, and then you play the big boys, and that's it. Don't really have to do much else. And that would create a I, I think over time that would actually be a huge advantage for the schools and for the conference. That's what I would do. Washington, Oregon are good schools. They have a lot of value. They're in. Sky's the limit. Ohio State so far, really not a lot to report. Outside that, Travion Williams is back. There's no quarterback that's been announced yet for the Buckeyes so far. And they have their secondary announcement. I don't know how big of a deal that is. But so far, it's been kind of a hmm-hmm-hum-hum camp so far. McCord seems to have the advantage over Brown. But even that's kind of flimsy. Doesn't really have a lot of cement to it. So that, But that's where the Buckeyes are at in particular. It's been a very quiet camp. And then we'll end on the Cavaliers of Ricky Rubio. Sad to hear, but, you know, obviously very respectful that Ricky needs to take time for his family. All the best, Ricky. He's a very good man. Uh, very, very good person from what I've been told. And, you know, hopefully he's okay and hopefully his family does better with the time off. It's very understandable. He's going to be stepping away from the game. Hopefully he and his family are doing okay. And, you know, as for the Cavs, they move on on that it's going to be interesting to see on the court for the Cavs what that means. They are going to have to pick up a backup point guard. They, you cannot roll in the season with just Mr. Garland. They're going to have to find someone to play point guard for the Cavs. It'll be interesting to see. But in the meantime, all the best to Ricky, all the best to his family at this time as he steps away from mental health purposes. Browns survived the first you know, preseason game. Cade York, not ex- no, not uh, Cade York is a mess, but okay. Thing else seemed to be okay. Tillman was exciting. Dimitri Feldman was exciting. There's going to be a lot to talk about the Guardians in this week when we look back in the history books for the for the sport and for the team. Uh, it's a very interesting week for this team. They had a lot of shrapnel after this. Hopefully, they they can recover and make it a race with the Twins. Best of luck to Ricky Rubio. Hopefully, all was all, all the best to him, and um, and the health to him and his family. And the Big Ten just keeps adding on teams. If I were them, I would just keep gobbling them up. Don't stop now. My name is Andy Billman. Thank you for listening. Check out all of our platforms, and please always tune in to Believe in the Land. <laughs>